Hello, and welcome back to the Blaze Experience once again. I am your host, Derek, as always, and today we have a very, very special podcast to do. This is our first ever bonus Patreon podcast. So basically what this is, it's a podcast that we're doing as a bonus for our Patreon members. Every month we do one bonus Patreon podcast. This is the first one we're ever doing for this. And essentially patrons can submit ideas for what they want me to cover for that bonus podcast of the month. Today's bonus podcast it was a really awesome idea submitted by Maximilian Colby. And today we're going to be talking about my top 10 games all time. So this is going to be a really fun podcast. I had to really think long and hard about this one when I went through my list. And there's a lot of games on here that are actually um fairly old games. So, you know, it might surprise you, might not. But there's, there's not a ton on here from uh, the recent days. But there are some in there. I will announce as well that this will be exclusive to patrons for the first two weeks. And then after two weeks, I will be releasing this on the main feed of the podcast where everyone can hear it. But just keep in mind, if you're hearing this two weeks later, this is probably going to be the only bonus podcast that actually makes it to the main feed. I don't plan on releasing a lot of these to the main feed because they are supposed to be just for patrons. But I wanted to release the first one to the main feed as sort of a tease for the rest of everyone else. That way you can kind of see what the bonus podcasts are all about because the bonus podcast could be, you know, large overarching topics like my favorite games of all time, or they could be uh, about a TV show. They could be about, you know, sports. It, it could be about anything. I mean, it, it could really go in several different directions with these bonus podcasts, but I wanted to share the first one with you all. That way you kind of get a taste of what the bonus podcast could be and see if you want to uh, get out of that and become a patron. So if you do want to become a patron, then it's going to be patreon.com slash blaze experience. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash blaze experience. But basically, this is going to be my top 10 games all time. I do want to preface this by saying that these are my favorite games all time. So this is going to be a list that a lot of people aren't going to uh, agree with probably. And a lot of you probably won't even know some of these games possibly, but I went through this and I decided what games that I have the most fun with and what games that I spend the most time with or what games that impact me the most. So there's not a lot of um, huge, gigantic AAA titles on here. You know, there's some very uh, small indie titles. There's a couple of AAA titles as well. But basically, this is a list of the games that impacted me the most in my life and the ones that I kind of wanted to share with you all because, you know, a lot of these games I did put a lot of time in and or even if I didn't put a lot of time into some of these, they impact me a lot uh, going on in life. And they really, you know, sparked my love for gaming. So these are 10 games that basically meant the most to me over the course of my life. So I hope you enjoy this. And again, you know, if you have different opinions on your list, that's great, you know, because we all like different things. But I have a pretty eclectic taste and I like games from, you know, several different genres. And you're going to kind of see that throughout this list a little bit. And. I will do my best to describe the games a little bit uh, for all 10, but keep in mind, um, some of these games I haven't played in years and years and years, so I don't remember them, you know, like, very intimately. I mean, I remember, like, what I loved about them and stuff like that, but I may not remember every detail about all these games, because, you know, if a game came out in, like, 1999, I'm probably not going to remember every detail about it, you know, now in 2019, so, because that was 20 years ago at this point, so. A game that's 20 years old, I'm probably not going to remember every detail of, but I'm going to remember what I loved about it and things like that. So I hope that makes sense. 
But before we begin, I do want to quickly shout out the patrons that we have this month, or at least that we have right now. So I want to spend a special thank you to Maximilian Colby, Naya Cyan, MFN Juggernaut, Meter, Coconut Kid123, and OTG0. Thank you to all of you for being patrons. It's all of you that made this podcast possible, so this podcast would not even be happening without those six folks. So thank you very much to the six of you, and I hope that all of you uh, enjoy this content because, you know, this is made for you. So this is made for the patrons, and I do hope that you enjoy it. And anyone that's listening two weeks later, I hope you enjoy it as well. And, you know, maybe you consider becoming a Patreon member for as little as $1 a month. But I did actually end up having a couple of honorable mentions. So I started with a short list of maybe like 25 to 30 games, and I kind of just chipped away at that. And I deleted them. I got rid of them. That way, um, the games that I wasn't going to include in my list, then they would be out of out of sight, out of mind. So I started with about 25 to 30 games that were like, you know, maybe I'll include that. Maybe I'll include that one. And I ended up with 12, basically. And so I did make a top 10 list, but uh, I do have 12 written down because there are two that I was very close to putting on here, but I just didn't. And I decided to make them audible mentions. So... One of these is a game that everyone um, is familiar with at this point, and it's a something that has become a huge franchise, but back when this was first released, it was, you know, kind of experimental, and this is uh, Super Smash Brothers, which was released for the Nintendo 64 back in 1999, and back then, you know, no one really knew that Super Smash Brothers was going to go on to become what it is today, and it was such a fun game back then. I remember playing that game a lot, you, know, you have all your different characters, you have Link, Samus, Fox, and you had all those different games kind of rolled into one, and you can kind of battle each other. And I really loved how unique it was with having the different worlds you could battle on. You, know, you could battle at Hyrule Castle or Link, or you could battle on Star Fox's ship or uh, Samus's, you know, world with all the lava. So all those things were really cool. You get Pokemon Stadium where you could uh, have Pokemon you could throw out there, things like that. So it was really interesting to me and. This was a game that I got a lot of enjoyment from back then, but it is an honorable mention for me just because I didn't play this game as much as some of the games that are higher on my list, and it also didn't have as much of an impact on me because, thinking about it, since this first game came out, I've never really played a lot of Smash Brothers. I mean, it was basically the very first Smash Brothers I played a lot, and past the first Smash Brothers, I've never really played Smash Brothers too much again. I mean... I played a little bit of Smash Brothers Melee on the original Wii, and that's basically the only other Smash Brothers I've ever played is the Melee one. So I haven't played a ton of Smash Brothers, and for that reason, I didn't think it was really right to include it in my top 10 because, you know, this is kind of a one and done for me where, you know, I, I kind of liked the first game and I enjoyed it, but I didn't play it as much as some of the other games and it didn't really have a huge impact on me as some of the other games either. And the other game... Similarly to Super Smash Brothers, it was actually released on the N64 as well, and also came out in 1999, which you're going to find a lot of these games on my list did come out around that time, because around that time was when, you know, I was growing up, and that's when I was actually, you know, getting into games, I was first discovering games, so I was I was really into the gaming scene at that point, and not that I haven't been since then, but basically around that time is when I had a lot more time in my hands to play games. Nowadays, I don't have enough time in my hands, so I basically play what I can. I have to be very choosy about what I can play because I have a lot of other things going on in life. But back then, I had not much going on. I mean, so 
I basically just was playing games, you know, whenever I could get the chance, and I got the chance a lot of times. So uh, I put a lot of time into games back then. So you are going to see a lot of games on my list from around that time. But this other game that was on the N64 in 1999 was actually Pokemon Snap. And this is probably one that might surprise some people, but um, I was a Pokemon player back in the day, and I did play it on the Game Boys and things like that. But while I enjoyed those for a time, it was kind of like a phase for me, and I kind of grew out of that phase. But Pokemon Snap was actually a game that I think I enjoyed more than just like part of a phase, because it was very different and very unique. And the reason for that is it's not a general Pokemon game where you're going to catch Pokemon and you're going to, you know, fight all these battles with different people. It was actually very different in the sense that you actually took pictures of the Pokemon. So anyone that didn't know this game back in the day, basically what it is, is all the Pokemon were in a sort of world or a map, and you go around this little cart and you take pictures of the Pokemon, and you get scored based on how good your picture was. So you have to try and take perfect pictures of the Pokemon, and some of them, in order for you to get them to turn around or something, you have to, you know, throw uh, gas balls at them, or you have to, like, throw something at them to get them to turn around, or you have to do something different, and, you know, sometimes you have to try and wake them up, or different things like that, and it was really interesting because you have to try and get the best pictures you can of all these different Pokemon, and you have to try and, you know, take as many pictures as possible and have a score with that. But I thought it was a really interesting concept back in the day, and it was something I really enjoyed because there's not a lot of games you see like that where you have an already known franchise, but then you're thrown into the world where, oh, all right, now take some pictures of these, and we're going to see how well you do with these pictures. So I definitely get that, you know, it wasn't for everyone because not everyone likes that experience. But for me, it was something different at the time that I really enjoy because you can go around, you know, um, learning about these different Pokemon if you wanted to. Or you could go around your little cart and take pictures of the ones that you like the most or whatever you wanted to do. But it was really fun to try and get pictures of all of them and try to do better with that because you might get one out of frame or you might get one that you know, was too low on the frame, or you might get one that was sleeping. So to strike, you know, to get the Pokemon to strike the perfect pose or to get the frame perfect, it actually took a little bit of skill and you had to, you know, kind of work around that a little bit. So it was something very interesting and very unique for me. And that's why I wanted to give it a shout out to Honorable Mention. And I would say that this is the one that was probably closest to making my list because this did, um, I guess, have a little bit more impact on me because it was so different at the time. But it did not make my list. It is Audible Mission. So um, basically since that time, I haven't ever really played Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh! or anything like that. Um, that was basically, you know, kind of like the end of that fad for me. But, you know, back then I was into that fad a little bit. So uh, I apologize if anyone doesn't like that kind of stuff. But, you know, back then it was just kind of a thing and <laughs> it was what it was. So but that, that's my story with Pokemon. So <laughs> but number 10. So we're actually getting into our actual list now. And number 10 is a game that was actually on PC for me. Yes, believe it or not, there was a time I did play a couple of PC games. So even though I'm an Xbox guy through and through, um, there was a time I was playing PC games. And obviously, the N64 was before Xbox. So basically, before the original Xbox, the N64 is my go-to. N64 all the way. That was my console. And then when Xbox came out, it kind of became Xbox for me. But there was actually a time I played a couple of PC games, and there are a couple of PC games that really resonated with me. And I honestly can't remember the name of the game, but there is actually one that I want to give a shout out to. Um, it 
there was a robot game back in around this time of like you know the early 2000s i think it was like uh robot arena i think it was called that was a pc game that i actually played a little bit it was around the popularity of uh battle bots but i don't think they had the battle bots license they had to call it something different so i think it was called robot arena but that was actually a pretty cool pc game that i used to play a lot too so that is a quick little shout out to that one i guess that's the third honorable mention for you but there are a couple of PC games I played, and this one that is my number 10 is Medieval Total War. And this is actually a game that I honestly just repurchased a couple of days ago because I saw that it was uh, $10 on Steam and I had a gift card. So I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll repurchase that. I'll, I'll give it another shot, you know, kind of feel some of that nostalgia. And honestly, it was just as fun as I remembered it. The only problem was the game continuously kept crashing and crashing and crashing, so... I would get into, you know, I'd get really into a game, like, all right, you know, this game's going really good, you know, this is fun, having a lot of fun with this game, oh, game crashed, all right, let's get back into it, you know, all right, having a lot of fun, oh, game crashed, (laughs) and it it got so frustrating, and I played it for, I think, four or six hours, something like that, in total, and eventually I had to ask Steam for a refund, and at first they denied my refund, but then I sent them another email, and they uh, approved my refund after that, because... Like, I love the game, and I would have enjoyed having it and continuing to play it, but it just kept crashing so often, and it was frustrating. But originally, um, back in 2002, this was released. It didn't crash that much back then, so I don't know if it's just, like, the way they ported it or whatever happened, but something happened with this version that I bought uh, a couple days ago, and it didn't work right. But back in 2002, um, that's when we had, you know, the big boxy old desktops and you had them, you know, in one little corner of your house. It was like these giant boxes. and Computers definitely don't look at the nowadays. But uh, back then, it was a really cool game for me. I It was my first uh, excursion to Total War. I don't think I ever bought Rome Total War. But I think I thought about it back then. But Medieval Total War, I did buy. And I played that a lot. So anyone that doesn't know, Medieval Total War is basically a strategy war game that is somewhat turn-based, but also somewhat um, real-time strategy. So basically how it works is think of a game like Risk. So it's kind of like a game of Risk with more detail to it. Because in Risk, you have to try and conquer the continents and conquer the whole map. Well, Medieval Total War was the same way. You have to conquer the whole map, but you actually have named generals. You have named kings. When your king dies, his heir takes over. So you have to have an heir in line because if you don't have any heirs, then your faction actually dies out and you lose the game. So you actually would have to have heirs in line to the throne and they would take over your army for you. But kind of like Risk, you take over little territories, you move armies into the next territory, you can move armies back and forth. You have all these different little units, which unlike Risk, is a lot more detailed because you could have, you know, spearmen, you could have horsemen, you could have archers, you could have all these different units and... So in my eyes, uh, the Total War series, which I'm not an expert on the series. I've only ever played Medieval Total War. That's the only one I've ever played. So I'm definitely not an expert on the series as a whole. But in my eyes, the way I see this is it's a cross between Civilization and Risk. Because in Civilization, you have different armies like that as well. But Civilization is more open world where you can kind of, you know, go wherever you want and explore a little more and create cities and stuff where you want. In risk obviously there's no cities involved but you have a structured map and there's borders for each structure so you kind of take over a new territory 
So to me, Total War is kind of a cross between those where you have a structured map, you're trying to take over the whole map, but in the middle of this, you have uh, cities that you can actually build in each territory. So basically each uh, section of the map, you have a new city or a new, you know, principality, whatever you want to call it exactly. But basically you can build up forts there. You can build different buildings there to train different troops. And there's other factions on the map too. So you might have, you know, 10 other factions on the map. You might have, okay, you know, I'm the Egyptians and I'm going against, um, I'm in a war with Turkey or something like that. And you might have to, you know, destroy the Turkish troops. And that's kind of how the work game works. You know, you have the ancient era. You know, this is based on the ancient era. So you had the Byzantine Empire. You had uh, Egyptians, the Almohads. You had uh, the Danes, uh, the Spanish. Um, who else do we have? Turkey, I think I said already. So you had lots of different factions involved. And this actually came with an expansion, too, called uh, Viking Invasion, which that one goes back a little further. And you can uh, have the Viking part of that where... You can play as the Vikings, or you can play as the Picts, the Saxons, uh, the Mercians, different uh, factions that were in Europe at the time. But yeah, honestly, that game was really cool, and it was a game that definitely resonated with me. And it was nice to kind of, you know, feel some of that nostalgia again um, a few days ago when I had the game. But unfortunately, it was crashing too much. But it's a really cool game, and... Basically, for me, I never played the game the way it was intended to play. And the reason why I say that is because I never actually got into the RTS stuff. So the real-time strategy part is where if you go to fight an army, you can actually conduct that fight yourself. And you can actually have that battle. So say um, I'm the Egyptians and I'm going to attack uh, the Byzantine Empire. If I'm going into a battle with them, I can actually conduct that battle myself and actually tell which troops to go where, which troops to attack when, things like that. To me, that's not really what the enjoyment for me was. So I never actually tried the RTS part that much because I'm not as much a real-time strategy guy. I'm more of a turn-based strategy guy, and that's what the main campaign part is, is turn-based. So you have your map, you can tell you can tell uh, what buildings you want to build, you can decide what troops you want to train, you can move your troops around different spots. And then you can actually have the computer automatically do the battles for you. So that's what I chose to do, and that's the way I play it. Um, I know a lot of fans of the Total War series probably don't play it like that. And that's probably, you know, what? Like, you, you play it like that? That's not even playing the real game. Like, that's probably how they would feel if they heard me say that, and that's totally fine. I mean, we all get enjoyments out of games, you know, how you want to enjoy it. And for me, I didn't really enjoy the RTS aspect, but I really love the turn-based aspects of the game and that's the way i played it so very cool franchise uh medieval total war is my number 10 so number nine for me is a game from the original xbox this was released back in 2002 and that is a game called state of emergency now this game is honestly on my list just because of the nostalgia for my time with my family honestly because this is a game that i used to play with my two brothers a lot and we all really loved jumping into that game together and kind of uh playing the multiplayer modes of that you know the local multiplayer and that is honestly the main reason this makes my list because the campaign and the you know single player state emergency i was never really a big fan of that because basically this game uh you're facing the corporation and you're trying to take down the massive corporation 
you're kind of being a rebel essentially and you have different guns you can pick up uh you can fight these you know guys in black suits that are the corporation guys and there's different maps there's a mall uh i think there's the east village different things like that so there's different maps you can go to not too many but there's like i think four to five maps in the game and basically you go to these maps you take out the corporation you know you kind of fight them and that's kind of like the the main story of the campaign as far as i got it. i never really played too much of the campaign but what i did like was the multiplayer which had different modes where one of the modes in multiplayer is you have to try and survive the longest so Basically, it kind of floods the maps with, you know, these corporation guys and guys that attack you. You have to try and survive longer than your friends do. So, you know, you're all on the same map, but your friends are getting attacked. You're getting attacked. You have to try and do your best to survive longest, which is pretty cool. There was um, time modes where you had to score the most points. There's modes where you actually face the other players. So there's some PvP in it. And honestly, the mo our favorite mode actually was one called Last Man Standing. And this is sort of... Um, it's not really a precursor to Battle Royale because you weren't trying to be the last one standing, but it had the same concept a little bit because basically what it did is you were on a map with 100 guys in those black suits. They were all the corporation guys, and these 100 guys, you had to try and uh, take them all out within the timer. So it'd be like a 10-minute timer. You had to try and find all 100 guys and kill them all, and then you win as a team. So it's kind of like a co-op team thing. But my brothers and I, we used to make like our own little competition out of that within that mode. So we would, you know, work together to try and kill these 100 guys. But we would have our own competition in it where the one that kills the most guys out of us is the, you know, ultimate winner. So it was really fun. And it was something that we just kind of jumped into together to have fun together. And it's honestly not the best game in the world, but... It's a game that really resonated with me just because of the time that I actually got with my brothers and the time that we actually spent together playing that game and enjoying it. So there weren't a ton of games that we actually got into together, and this is one of the ones we did. So that's why I kind of made my list, because this is kind of a staple for us to play together. And that's really the main reason it's on my list. But I mean, there were some decent characters in there, but they're pretty badly stereotyped, honestly. I mean... You know, there was um, different races in there, and they kind of stereotyped pretty bad, in my opinion. But it was still fun to play the different characters. You know, my brothers and I, we all had our characters we stuck to. Um, I stuck to a character named Spanky, and yeah, I know, we're weird name already, right? <laughs> this Spanky guy, I guess he's like a gang member. And then, you know, one of my brothers had like this skinny guy, and then another one had like this buffer-looking guy, so... We stuck to our characters, but the characters weren't really the best, and it was more just, you know, the multiplayer was kind of fun to enjoy uh, on a local stand. But moving on, number eight on my list is actually sort of two games, and the reason why is because both of these games came out around the same time, and I can't really pick which one I would like better because I, I kind of enjoyed them both. So number eight on my list is Mario Party 2 and 3 on the N64, and number two was released in 1999, Mario Party 3 was released in 2000. So basically, they're only a year apart, and I like them both a lot. And honestly, I, I never really was a Nintendo player after the N64, so 
Uh, I never owned a Wii. I never owned a GameCube. Uh, I never owned a Wii U. I still don't own a Switch. So ever since the N64 went away, I haven't owned a Nintendo console since. So this was my final Nintendo console. And I always really loved Mario Party. And I would still play Mario Party today. It's it's probably one of the only Nintendo games that I kind of wish I could play at Xbox. Because that is a super awesome franchise. And I love playing Mario Party. And this is a really fun game. And if anyone doesn't know what it is, I'm sure you do because they've continued the franchise since then. But basically Mario Party is a game that takes characters from Mario. So you have Mario, you know, Luigi, Waluigi, you have uh, Toad, um, all these different characters. And basically you take these characters and you play in a game board that's kind of like a story to it. So you play in these different game boards. There's different uh, maps you can go on and you you know move throughout the spaces. You hit a little dice block above your head and this dice block tells you how many spaces you move. So you jump, you hit a dice block, it might say seven spaces. So you go seven spaces and you try to collect coins or points. The one with the most points at the end of the game is the winner. But in future uh, renditions of Mario Party, they actually had stars as well. So you had to have the most stars which actually puts you in the lead, and then points were second. So I think points are coins. I can't remember exactly which, but basically it went by whoever has the most stars. So say you had two stars you collected on the game board. Then after that, it would go, okay, who has the most coins? So basically the leader would be the one with the most stars, then it would be the most coins, and so on. And at the end of the game, they did award some bonus stars for things like who won the most mini games, uh, who travel the most spaces in the board, different things like that. But basically, after every person in the game, whether it was AI or uh, local multiplayer, whatever it was, after everyone took their turn, there would be a minigame. And essentially, in this minigame, you could actually earn more stars. And, or sorry, you could actually earn more coins. And basically, these minigames, they'd be little uh, quick games. They take, you know, anywhere between, I think, 5 to 10 minutes. Not really that long, but... They're little fun mini games, and some of them be like, okay, you know, here's a rocking platform. Who can stay on this platform the longest? Or some of them be, you know, who can solve this puzzle first? There's little different mini games that were all very different and also very fun. And I really loved that. And there was also mini games where you could actually, uh, there's a bunch of coins wagered up at once. I think they're called battle mini games where essentially you got challenged into a battle and like half your coins went into the pot and you could actually gain a ton of coins at once or you could actually lose a ton of coins. So there's different aspects like that too. But honestly, this is a very, very fun franchise and a franchise that I still love to this day. And I would still play Mario Party to this day, but um, I'm just not interested in Nintendo enough. You know, basically, if I bought a Nintendo, the sole reason I would buy it is probably for Mario Party. And I'm just not interested enough to buy it just for one game. So I probably play Smash Brothers a little bit, but I wouldn't play it a ton. And to me, um, I'm just not interested enough to buy it for one game, which is unfortunate because I would like to play some Mario Party again. You know, it's a really cool game, and uh, I do miss playing Mario Party. But that is number eight on my list because it was a very cool game at the time for me, and. It was really unique and interesting 
And, you know, Xbox has tried something similar, which um was part of my list that I was curating from, you know, the, like 30 games I had in my list. Fusion Frenzy 2 is basically Xbox's version of Mario Party. And yes, Fusion Frenzy 1 as well, but honestly, Fusion Frenzy 2 is so much better than Fusion Frenzy 1. Which, I don't know why Fusion Frenzy 2 is not on uh, backwards compatible yet, but it isn't. So, hopefully at some point it does. But Fusion Frenzy 2 is um, an Xbox 360 game, and it was very similar to Mario Party, and it had mini-games in different worlds and uh, things like that. And you go through and you play the mini-games of friends, and you try to win. And... You know, at the end of the uh, whole game, the person with the most points or most worlds, they are the winner. So, very similar concept to Mario Party. And that almost um, made it onto my honorable mentions, but I couldn't even put on my honorable mentions because it wasn't a game that I really had the same level of nostalgia and experiences with. It was a game that I found as an afterthought that kind of got a little bit of enjoyment. But Mario Party back then was a lot more enjoyable for me and a game that I spent a lot more time with. So, number seven, we're sticking in 1999 again. So I told you 1999 was going to be a, a big year. You know, 20 years ago basically is where a lot of these games on my list are coming from. <laughs> but um, I, I did enjoy them all a ton back then. And this is another one from N64 as well. So N64 was a console I really remember fondly. And I honestly don't even know what happened to ours, you know, from this day. I mean, I know we used to have one um, as a family, and I really don't even know what happened to it. I mean, I don't know if we sold it. I'm, I'm pretty sure we sold it, probably. But I, I no longer have one. And the game for number seven is Destruction Derby 64. So Destruction Derby 64 was what it sounds like. It's a Destruction Derby game. And you have different cars. You go around the map trying to destroy different cars. And my favorite things in this game were the battle uh, maps. They're kind of, I think they're called arenas. But it had world championship. It had a um, point system where you get points for colliding with somebody. A point for gripping. You get points for checkpoints. There's capture the flag, which is very cool as well. But there was also a sort of deathmatch version where you basically just go and, you know, you try to be the last car standing. And that was probably my favorite thing, which, you know, was kind of like sort of a battle royale car game, essentially. But they had like these bowl maps and these bowl maps is where you just go in there. You try to, you know, wreck everyone and try to survive. And honestly, the most memorable for me, anyone that is familiar with this game, it, most memorable for me is a bowl map called the Junkyard. And it's a very simplistic map. It just has a ramp that goes, you know, on two sides. It's in a circle. There's a ramp that goes on two sides. And you basically go up this ramp to uh, a stage up above. And then there's like a lower bowl where it has, you know, a bunch of sand and it's pit. So it's basically just a pit with some sand and a ramp on one side. So one side has all sand. One side has like, a, you know, raised platform with a ramp. And that's basically the entire map. But it was most memorable for me because, you know, you just... It's really short and closed area. You just go around trying to smash some cars. And it was honestly a lot of fun. And, you know, they had different cars like a police car, ambulance, uh, hatchback, hot rod, a taxi cab, a bunch of different cars in there. And it was honestly just a really cool game and a game that I really had a lot of fun with. Even though it's probably not, you know, the most world class game in the world, it's a game that really resonated with me and a game that I had a lot of fun with. And, you know, 
my liking of destruction derbies in real life where like uh you go to the grandstands or you go to a fair or something like that and they're doing a demolition derby my love of demolition derbies in real life seeing those happen that came from this game like i literally enjoyed those because of this game and this game is where i actually um learned to enjoy those so it's not like i go to see a lot of demolition derbies but the fact that i even like demolition derbies at all it's strictly from this game, Destruction Derby 64, and that is the whole reason I actually like Demolition Derbies to this day. But it's a very fun game. Um, it's kind of like the precursor to Burnout a little bit, I would say. You know, Burnout is more, um, which Burnout was a game that I did think about, by the way. Very cool game, one that I definitely want to give a shout out to, but did not make my list. But it's kind of a, Destruction Derby 64 is a little bit of a precursor to that in the sense that you know, it's really fun to take out cars, you know, take down cars, but Burnout is more of a racing game, and Destruction Derby is more about destruction, so it was very fun, and I did enjoy this game a lot. But moving on, number six on my list is, you guessed it, from 1999 again, so, <laughs> but, so this is, um, technically of the top ten, this is the third one that is from 1999, <laughs> if you count Mario Party 2 in there. But this one is actually the second and final PC game on my list. So I only had two PC games that made my top 10. But this is one that actually did make my top 10 for PC. It was just outside the top 5. So number 6 on my list is Roller Coaster Tycoon. And this is a game that I had so much fun with back in the day on PC. And I would use my you know old uh, family desktop that we had and... I would have so much fun with this game, making my, you know, theme park. I'd uh, make my water slides or, you know, make my Ferris wheels or whatever I was making my theme park. I really loved the game mechanics of it. And what I loved most was the management in this game. And that's kind of been a common theme with me in games is I really love management games, honestly. Like, I, I love those or maybe not full management, but games that have great management aspects to them. Like, for example, State of Decay, which I'm sure will be on the list later, you know, spoiler alert, but uh, I love games that have management aspects to the game while you can still have fun with other things, too. And Roller Coaster Tycoon, I really love the management aspect of that game where you could, you know, charge different prices, uh, you could charge different prices at the gate, then you could charge, you know, prices for your rides, you could um, try to attract people by building a different attraction that they might like more. You could, you know, tear different directions down. If something broke down, you had your repairmen. You had to hire your repairmen. And I thought that was really cool that, you know, things can break down. You have to have, like, you know, top repairmen send those repairmen over there to repair it. You had to have people, you know, picking up the trash in your park to keep it clean. So you could build different walkways. You could have, you know, fancier walkways. You could have, uh, I, I put trash cans, like, everywhere just to try and keep the park clean. And it was really cool, actually. And... I remember at one point, you know, I was trying to just play around with it, and I even was charging for uh, people to use the bathroom. So <laughs> I, I would charge people like 50 cents to use the bathroom. Like, all right, 50 cents, you know, come to the bathroom, 50 cents. <laughs> Which that would definitely not work out in real life, but uh, I figured, you know, back then I'm like, hey, why not? Well, let, let's shoot the shit. Let's, you know, kind of uh, just do it and see what happens. <laughs> so it was kind of fun back then. You know, I just play around with things and. Uh, I would, like, close off pathways sometimes just to see if people could find their way without a pathway. 
it was kind of interesting to try that out and, you know, see if people could actually find the pathway there. And one of the cool things, too, is making queuing lines, because if you had a really popular ride, then obviously you jack up the price for that ride. But not only that, is you can make queuing lines and you could have a bunch of people waiting in line. But if your queuing line wasn't big enough, somebody would go to that line and they wouldn't actually ride the ride because the line's full. So they just walk away. But if you made a bigger queuing line, then they could actually do it. So I made some, you know, really big queuing lines for my top rides. And it was honestly a really fun game to play around with. And it's a game that I would uh, probably try out again sometime, you know, because it was a game that I really enjoyed and I had a lot of fun with. But that is my other PC game that made my list. And now we have our top five. So I will say um, in our top five, we do have some games that aren't from 1999. In fact... I will say that the entire top five, none of those are from 1999. A couple of them are older games, yes, but um, some are newer games as well. So number five on my list is a game that is very different than a lot of games I've talked about uh, up to this point. It's a game that is a lot based on story. You know, it has a really good story to it, and it's basically a pure story game. And the whole game literally is just a long story, basically. And that is a game that a lot of people are familiar with. It's The Walking Dead by Telltale Games Season 1, which that released on Xbox One, April 24th, 2012. And this is a game that spawned the whole series. You know, obviously, Telltale is gone now, which sucks because Telltale made some awesome games. But this was a very, very fun game, and it had a really awesome series. It introduces the character of Clementine. Clementine is such a cool character, and... You know, we have the character of Lee. Lee and Clementine both are such great characters, and they really adapted this IP of The Walking Dead, and they made it something of their own, because none of these are characters that were actually in, you know, the real comic series or the show, except for a couple. You know, we had Glenn and Herschel very early on, but they were barely in there. And it was very awesome to see, you know, this different world and get to experience that yourself, because... This is something that was very different at the time where you had episodic adventure, which episodic adventures in itself were very unique at the time where back in 2012, you weren't seeing a lot of episodic games. You know, we've seen a little bit more now, but back seven years ago when this game came out, you weren't seeing a lot of that really happen. And Telltale kind of developed a great formula that was very interesting where you have these dialogue choices and these dialogue choices do matter. So you'd say something to someone and it would actually matter later on. Or you make some critical choices where, you know, you make a choice one way, somebody dies. You make a choice another way, somebody else dies. And you really had to be put on the spot there. And that was something, you know, really awesome aspects of this game for me is you get put on the spot and you have to make a choice right then and there. And you know that choice is going to affect you later, but you don't know what the right choice is now. So it really puts you in into that world where you're having to make a split second choice and you don't know what the right choice is, but you just have to go with your gut and, well, I think the right choice is doing this. And then later you find out, oh, man, doing that choice, you know, led to this. And now I have to deal with this situation. So it was really well written back then. And yes, I know that Telltale Games went off the rails in the later years. But at this point in their series, The Walking Dead Season 1, this was, you know, right at their height, pretty much. I mean, they had some other great games come out as well. You know, uh, Game of Thrones, for example, their Game of Thrones game, I'll always, you know, go to bat for that. Their Game of Thrones game was awesome, but they had such great writing in this first game, and 
the story was so cool and so unique and it was actually you know a big twist and turns in there you know i won't spoil the series in case anyone hasn't seen it but um you know season one you have some very big twists in there towards the end and it really is unique and it has a great storyline that for you to follow so this is a game that i will always uh, cherish and that is number five on my list so now we are at the top four and I will say three of these games at the top four are games that I spent more time on than any other game in my life. There's one game out of this top four that I didn't spend. Actually, to be honest with you, probably these top four are, would probably be at least four of the top five games for time I spent in my life. There's one of them I don't think I spent as much time on, but we'll get to that though. But number four on my list, I definitely spent a ton of time on and... This is a game that is a single-player adventure that you couldn't play with friends, and that is honestly the main reason it's my number four, is because it didn't have any co-op aspects to it. And I do like a lot of co-op where, you know, I like the option, really. I like the option to be able to play by myself and have fun by myself, or, you know, involve some friends, too, and, you know, enjoy it with friends. This game didn't have that option. And this is Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, which was released on the Xbox 360 in 2011. But Skyrim is a classic game, and even though it didn't have the option to play with the friends, it was such a good game, and it really enthralled you in the story. There's so many different quests, so many different storylines you can go around in Skyrim, and it was perfect because you could build your character the way you want, and you could really enhance your character, you could level them up in different aspects. The graphics at the time were, you know, amazing. I mean, obviously now the graphics probably aren't the greatest, but at the time the graphics were amazing. And you could fight dragons. You could, you know, do different guild quests. You could do like Thieves Guild. You could, you know, join the Dark Brotherhood. You could uh, be in part of the Mages Guild. You had the main Civil War storyline. And then, of course, you had your, you know, Dovakin storyline where you were trying to, you know, deal with your new powers and your new shouts and different things like that. So there's a lot of different, you know, main storylines, but then sub storylines beyond that too. And it was really interesting to explore that world. The world was so well done with all the different towns, all the different cities and, you know, the dungeons you can go into, the different things you can collect, like the ancient artifacts. And there was uh, the dragon priest, you collect the master of the dragon priest and, there's so many different aspects of this game and different items, different things you can make. It, I, I could go on forever about, you know, how many things are actually in this game. Like, they did such a good job by Bethesda in making a game that will last you hours and hours and hours and hours and you could still get more out of it. I mean, I haven't even gotten everything out of it either. Like, I put a lot of time into this game and there's still so much to this game that I never experienced and I put a lot of time into it, so... That's the craziest thing to me is, unlike the rest of the 10 games on my list, this is probably the game that you could put most time into and still have more to do. The other nine games on my list, you could probably, you know, exhaust most of the content in the game in a reasonable amount of time. Skyrim is a game that you could put, you know, 300 hours into Skyrim and still have more that you've never seen before. And that is a crazy concept because... For most people, most people don't put 300 hours into any game. And, you know, 300 hours in one game and then still having more to do beyond that, that's just crazy. I mean, I, I honestly don't know how much time I put in the game because I wasn't keeping track back then. But 
I do know it was a lot. I know um, it was comparable to some of the other games in the top of my tier here. But Skyrim is such a fun game, and I can't wait for Elder Scrolls 6. I guarantee when Elder Scrolls 6 comes out, I will be playing the game for sure. And again, like I said, the main reason it's number four for me is mainly just because I couldn't enjoy it with friends, you know. It was not, it's not really a game that you can talk to, you know. Oh, hey, did you see that dragon over here? Or did you do this? Like, it's, I mean, I know Red Dead Redemption 2 is kind of in that same sense where until the multiplayer came out, you just experienced the story and you kind of talked to your friends about it a little bit. But to me, that's not really the type of experience that I like to share with friends as much. I like to share experience with friends where you can actually be there together doing the experience. Not, you know, oh, I talked to my friend about what I did last week in this game and he had, you know, this experience in it. To me, instead of like the water cooler after you play aspect, I would prefer to play in the game with my friend and experience it at the same time together and have those experiences together. So that is kind of why it's number four for me, just because I didn't have that opportunity. But hopefully in uh, six, we do have the opportunity. I know they had Elder Scrolls online since then. So, you know, we'll see if that's an opportunity in the future. Oh, and real quick, too, with my number five, The Walking Dead Telltale, part of the reason that's number five for me is just because there's not a ton of replayability to it. Yes, you can replay it and get the different story arcs, you know, you get the different choices in there. But, I mean, honestly, there's not a ton of replayability to that. Uh, you can play through it probably twice. And after twice, I don't really think you'd want to play through it after two times. That's basically why that's my number five. There's not a ton of replay value there. All right, number three on my list. We're at the top three here. And number three is a game I've talked about before. In fact, um, I, I've talked about it quite a lot. It was released on the Xbox One in 2018. Yes, we're talking about State of Decay 2. So State of Decay 2 is my number three game all time. And I know that probably sounds weird coming from the guy that's Talked for hours and hours and hours about State of Decay 2 on this podcast, but I mean, it was really hard for me to put State of Decay number one because there are games that I put a ton of time to back in my youth that I'm really nostalgic for. And, you know, hopefully this doesn't offend anyone on Dead Labs, you know, if they do hear this. Um, I love your game, and I think being number three in my all time list is, you know, pretty uh high up there so hopefully uh you don't be offended by that at all but honestly the two games above this just the two games above this uh have a lot of nostalgia in there for me and they're games that i really enjoy with you know friends or i enjoyed my youth and they really meant a lot to me uh when i was younger and it's hard to combat that with a game that comes out now you know as much as i love state of decay now it's such an amazing game, and I keep going back to it, going back to it, and I never get sick of State of Decay. You know, it's a game that I don't think I'll ever get sick of. But the same can be said for my games at 1 and 2. My games at 1 and 2, I never got sick of either. Just unfortunately for those two games, um, they were on systems that, you know, kind of are gone by the wayside now. So that gives away a little bit, you know. So that does tell you that they're not Xbox One games, but... um they're games that are a little bit older and 
it's harder to go back and play them now because I don't even have those systems anymore. So, but State of Decay 2, we all, or at least most people listening to this podcast probably know exactly what it is, but it's a zombie survival game and it's definitely my favorite survival game I've ever played. And it's a game that is so unique and so fun because it has those management aspects I was talking about earlier, you know, like the roller coaster checkoons type stuff where you can actually manage things. It has aspects like that where you can manage your base. You can manage your resources, your food, your materials, different things like that. It has that resource management, which I love resource management type stuff, but it also has zombies, which who doesn't love killing zombies? But on top of that as well, it also has survival aspects too, where you you have your health that has permadeath. The permadeath in this game is amazing because it really makes you care about your characters a lot. So there's so many different aspects of State of Decay that it's... It's mind-blowing to me to see how much is actually baked into this game under the surface. Because on the surface, you just see, okay, oh, it's a zombie survival game. You just walk around shooting zombies, and that's all there is to it. On this bare-bones surface, that's what it might look like to some people. But once you break into the game, there's so much beneath the surface of this game that you would never even know about if you didn't really get into it. Because if you dig deep in this game, there's so many different cars you can use. There's different bases that all have interesting things to them, interesting different aesthetics to them. There's different traits, different skills. Like It goes on forever how much is actually in this game. And I still haven't even talked about everything in this game in the podcast either. You know, there's, there's still topics for the podcast that I've never covered that I do want to cover at some point. You know, I've talked about the different bases, the different facility mods, and all those different things, but still, even after all I've talked about for State of Decay 2, there's still things I've never talked about before, and they are on my list of things that I want to talk about in the future. So, you know, hopefully, eventually I can get to them because it seems like because the team at Undead Labs, they do such a great job with releasing content that it seems like whenever I'm like, okay, you know, uh, I'm sort of running out of topics here. Let's break out one of these topics I haven't talked about yet. Right when I'm about to do that, it seems like, oh, they just released more content. All right, let's talk about the new content. Then <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, the, the new content's slowing down. Let's break out one of these topics I've never talked about before. Oh, they just released something new. So, you know, props to Undead Laz because right when I'm about to get to a topic that I haven't talked about before, it seems like that's when they release new content. And then I'm talking about the new content instead. So I, I believe, um, I, for, I think Hero Bonus is one of the things I haven't talked about before all the hero bonuses you can get. And that's one thing that I definitely want to cover in at least one or two podcasts at some point because there's a lot of them. But that's one topic I've never covered, for example, that I do want to cover at some point. And it, it just seems like, you know, every time I get around to where I might cover that topic or something, something else happens. And, you know, we have a new patch or, you know, patch 8.0 comes out. We have to talk about that. Or, you know, we have an- another patch or another DLC or whatever comes out. It, it's just so amazing that this team keeps at it. They keep at it so much. You know, we just had Choose Your Own Apocalypse come out, and all of the stuff that comes out for this game is just amazing. You know, the Zombie Hunter, Choose Your Own Apocalypse, Daybreak. There's so many aspects of this game, and this is just my favorite game that has come out in a long time. And I really love this game. You know, basically, um, this is the newest game on my list. The next newest would have been uh, Walking Dead Telltale Games. So. I guess, uh, in theory, that means this is my favorite game in the last six or seven years. So, 
And I know there's obviously a ton of games within that six or seven years that were amazing, but uh, again, um, I don't have as much time or funds to play as many games as I did back in my youth. You know, back in 1999, 2000, 2001, around those years, that's when I had plenty of time in my hands to play games as much as I want. I could play, you know, a ton of games however long I wanted to play them and never really have to worry about it. But now, I mean, I have so much going on that, you know, I have a kid, I have a family, you know, I've got a full-time job. Like, I have so much going on now that obviously I didn't have as a kid, so... There's so many things going on now that I just can't play as many games. And it is unfortunate. It does suck. You know, I do wish I could play more games more often, but I have to be really picky and choosy with the games I do play. And this is a game that will always have a place in my heart. And I will continue talking about State of Decay for a long time to come. And I can't wait to see what Undead Labs does next for it. But moving along, we do have two other games on our list. So number two is my last game from the N64 era. And believe it or not, this is actually the oldest game on my list, technically. Uh, this is a game that was released in 1997. So this does make it the oldest game on my list 23 years ago. And that would be Diddy Kong Racing. So I don't know if anyone remembers this game, but Diddy Kong Racing was... A very unique game that is so much different than Mario Kart or any other racing game that ever came out. It had such a unique adventure story mode that was really well built where you could actually go around the world. You could, you know, experience these different tracks and go through these doors and you had these boss battles. You could fight a rhino or not fight a rhino, but you could race a rhino. You had to try and you know, beat all these bosses. You had to take down the evil whiz pig and... You had all the cool characters. You had, you know, Conker, Diddy Kong. You had uh, the Tiger. Uh, I can't remember all their names, but you had a turtle in there. A lot of really, really cool characters that made the game very fun. The tracks were all so unique. You know, they had so many different unique tracks that were all very awesome. They had very unique music. The music was amazing as well. You had items like you could do in Mario Kart where you could shoot, you know, balloons. Where you could shoot rockets, sorry. You could, you know, drop oil spills in the track. They had uh, multiplayer modes where you could have a battle against your friends. So you had battle maps as well where you could, you know, battle for the most coins. You could uh, battle for last one standing, those type of matches as well. But playing multiplayer with your friends is amazing too. You know, you could have... I forget how many races it was per game. I think it was either 8 to 12, somewhere around that range. So you had 8 to 12 races on a track, but you could play against your friends, which is awesome. But honestly, uh, the story mode was really what drew me in here. I mean, the adventure story mode of this, for a racing game to have this good of an adventure story mode was so unique to me. And the fact that you could drive around the main world and actually you know, go find these different tracks and things like that, where you can actually drive through the doors, you know, experience these new tracks in different areas. It was really unique to me where you could actually go around, experience the world, you know, just enjoy it a little bit. It wasn't open world by any stretch, but it was enough of an open world that it made it really fun. And 
in this game, what's very unique that it took other games a long time to duplicate is you could actually race with different vehicles too. You could race in a plane, a hovercraft, or a cart. And that was really cool at the time and so unique. You know, to be racing in a hovercraft against um, this one boss, I think it was like a seal or like a giant seal or a giant walrus or something like that. And it was really unique where you, you know, race in a hovercraft against them. You have to beat the boss and you have to try and, you know, take down the boss to get to the next area, things like that. But the boss battles were so fun because you're racing like this giant animal and you're in this like, little car and you have to, you know, beat them to the finish line. And that in itself was awesome. You know, you had to, all these different races where you had to try and come in first place to unlock the next thing. So I don't really know what to say other than this is my favorite racing game all time. It is such a good game. I would buy it again in a heartbeat if it ever came to, you know, Xbox or anything like that. Um, honestly, I would even consider buying an old N64 just to play this game again because Diddy Kong Racing was such a unique game to me. And I love this game to bits and I still think of it today. And it's a game that I would play again over and over again even today. So Diddy Kong Racing all the way. Such a fun game. And... Mario Kart was in my uh, 30 game shortlist to possibly be, you know, on there somewhere. But Diddy Kong Racing, in my opinion, is way better than Mario Kart. And it is a travesty that Diddy Kong Racing never got a sequel. Like, I, I'm still upset to this day that Diddy Kong Racing never got a sequel. I would love a Diddy Kong Racing 2. So, you know, rare if you ever stop with Sea of Thieves or, you know, Microsoft ever wants to put you on something else. Please, Diddy Kong Racing 2, you know, I'm all there for it. Let's have some Diddy Kong Racing 2 come to Xbox. Let's do it. So hopefully, you know, one day they do that. But it sounds like Microsoft's probably going to keep them on CFEs and stuff for a while. But I hope, you know, beyond hope that Diddy Kong Racing could come back in the future. So we'll see. They technically remastered it once for Nintendo DS back in like 2007, I think, but I mean, I was never much of a handhold player. I'm more of a, like, you know, a sit-down-at-your-TV console player, so I was never too much in the handhold thing. Um, I had Nintendo Game Boy Advance SP, which was the last uh, handheld I ever had. So that is where my handheld experience ended. That was like the uh, little flip game console that, like, it would fit, you know, nicely in your pocket. It was very nice and unique, compact, and it had the lightest screen at the back. So that was the uh, last handheld console I had, which is a long, long time ago. All right, and then there was one. So one game left on the list, and this game is probably a game that I put... I would honestly say I put more time into this game than any other game in my life, and that's part of the reason why it's number one. This game was so unique. And this is a game from the original Xbox. It released on Xbox back in 2002. And this is a game I still own the disc for today. I don't even have original Xbox anymore, but I love this game so much that I kept the game disc, even though I don't have an Xbox. You know, imagine that. I, I had the game desk sitting here at home. I have the disc in a closet, and I can do nothing with it because I don't have an Xbox. But I, I love the game so much that I could not sell this game. I'm like, all right, I I'm keeping this game disc. I don't care. I'm keeping it for the memories. But this is a game that actually started out as an arcade franchise and then made its way onto consoles. And we are talking Gauntlet Dark Legacy. So this is a game that a lot of people may not have ever even heard of. But 
Gauntlet Dark Legacy was such a fun, unique game, and I'm proud to call it my favorite game of all time. You know, Gauntlet Dark Legacy had different characters, different um, races you could be. You could, well, I guess not races per se, but races in the sense of it had different character types, I guess I should call it. Like you could be a wizard, you could be a jester, you could be a minotaur, you could be a warrior. So I guess the better word is classes, what I'm thinking of. So different character classes. Sorry about that. But it had all these different classes you could be. You know, some of them had uh, better armor. Some of them had better speed, better magic abilities. And despite what I usually play today, um, I actually played the mage. So I was, you know, really good at magic and stuff. And each of these characters actually had their own unique abilities. When you get past level 25, it unlocks an ability for this character. And then when you get past level 50, it unlocks another ability for the character. But of course, I probably haven't even said what the game is exactly yet, right? So, basically, Gauntlet Dark Legacy is... I've been heard, I've heard it have been described as the Dark Souls of its time. Um, I think that's a fairly fair comparison. I mean, I've never played Dark Souls, but I know Dark Souls is supposed to be like this ridiculously hard game, and Gauntlet Dark Legacy could be very hard at points. And with Gauntlet Dark Legacy, I mean, you had all these different stages you had to go through. So you'd have like five different levels, and then you'd have a boss level. And every one of these levels, you know, took a long time, and there's a lot of different unique enemies in them. So you'd have like different regions of the world where you might have um, a snow region, or you might have like a swampy region. Or you might have uh, the Dream World, where the Dream World had different enemies. And every region you're in, it has different enemies you have to fight. And they did a really good job with varying the enemies. But not only that, the boss fights in this game were so cool and so unique at the time. You had to fight a genie, you had to fight a spider, and you had to fight a lich, um, a demon. You had to fight this plague fiend, which is like, um, it's sort of like a science experiment gone wrong, is the best way I could put it. You had to face a three-headed chimera. You know, you had to face uh, a dragon. So many different really interesting bosses. And every boss you had to... Oh, you had to face Yeti, too. Yeti was a really fun, fun boss fight, too. But all these bosses you had to fight, they all had different tactics they could use. You had to go get around those tactics. You had to level up your characters and, you know, try to use your special moves on them. Because every character had a special, like, uh, sort of attack you could use. And the fighting controls in this game were actually pretty simple. You know, you had um, a fast attack and a slow attack. And then other than that, you had like potions you could use. You also had uh, your special attacks. But for the most part, it was pretty simple controls. And that's one of the things I liked about it too. Because this what did start as an arcade franchise. And I like that arcade feel to it where, you know, the controls to it weren't that difficult. Where you had just a couple buttons to use. You had to, you know, use... Um, Use your brain, you know, get, get some tactical advantages there. There was traps on the ground. You could step on these traps and take more damage. So you had to work together as a team. It was co-op, and you could have, I believe, up to four players in co-op with you. So you had to work as a team and, you know, take down these levels. And this is a game that I did end up playing with my brothers uh, a lot. I also play with uh, friends locally a lot. And this is a game that I really enjoy playing with my brothers or friends. And we all had our own characters, you know. My character was the mage, and then I started making a backup character as Minotaur. And that's one of the cool things of this game, too, is you have a lot of replayability where 
there's all these different characters. They have different, you know, abilities and stuff they can use. And it's fun to play through as different characters and try those as well because the levels were so dense and so packed with um, content, in my opinion. And the levels were so fun to play because a lot of these levels, you could actually get lost in the levels. You know, there's different ways to go and things like that. And in those levels, they had different treasure. You could find, you know, uh, some characters even could get you more treasure. Like, I think the Jester, one of his abilities, actually granted you extra treasure. So you can get treasure and you could um, find different items, things like that. But these levels were so dense and so vast and unique, at least the way I remember them. And they were a lot of fun to experience. And it kind of has some sort of twist at the end, too, in my opinion, where um, you have to beat all the bosses to get to, like, a final boss fight, sort of. But you actually had to beat that final boss fight, which you thought was the final boss fight. And then after this final boss fight, you're still not done. There's these things called runestones that are hidden throughout 12 different maps. So out of the entire game, there's 12 different maps that the runestones are hidden. And you have to find these 12 runestones. And then if you find all 12 runestones, you can go to a, a boss fight that is after the final boss. So th there's still different content after that. And then even after that boss fight, there's still other content. So they packed so much content in this game and packed so many different things. And you have to find the runestones. You have to get the shards to go to fight this boss. There's so many different like extra boss levels and stuff like that, that this was such a unique and fun game. And... Gauntlet Dark Legacy will always, always hold a special place in my heart as, you know, one of my top three games all time, no matter what. I mean, right now, I, I'd say it's my number one, but, you know, I do leave room for in the future, you know, maybe something can overtake it in the future. But right now, it, it's still number one for me, and I can't see it ever falling below three for me. It's a game that I love so much in the original Xbox, and I think the fact that I kept the disc to this day even though I don't even have an Xbox anymore, like, I do not have an OG Xbox, and I still have the disc for this game. I think that does say something, at least, because I would not let this disc go, even though I don't even have the Xbox anymore. Like, this game was so important to me, and so fun, and I, I could probably talk about it for another hour, like, just, just how much fun I had with this game, but it, it was so unique and so fun, and it was really a amazing experience with how well these levels were built like these levels all had different types of enemies you know when you uh, face the genie boss like his whole realm because eight different realms and his whole realm has its own feel to it and the fact that each realm had its own feel to it was so unique to me at the time you know back in 2002 i mean this is 17 years ago you know back 17 years ago games didn't games didn't have you know things as well built as this in my opinion like there were so many different realms built out. You know, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, think of like the Seven Kingdoms, how different those were. You know, how different the North was from Dorm, for example. This game sort of had the same feel to that because there's eight different realms and you're trying to rescue the eight realms from the oppressive demon lord. And basically you have to go through all these tasks to rescue the realms from the oppressive demon lord. And these levels were so unique and had, you know, different twists, turns. You had, you know, some fiery uh, realms, some snowy ones. You know, when you face the Yeti, that's like all snow base. And the enemies all go in line with that. And you have your special moves. Everyone has their own special move, which looked really different, really cool. And there's unlockable secret characters. Like the Minotaur I talked about, 
the Minotaur is actually a secret character, and he has the same stats and skills as some of the other characters, but he's like it's basically like a new, uh, unique skin. So, like for example, the Mage has you know the Mage is good at magic and stuff like that, and basically there's unlockable characters for each um sort of class that have like the same skill levels and same you know different uh unique aspects but the skin was unique too so they had like their own unique skin you could play as the minotaur and that was really cool too so uh you go up to level 99 for your levels and i got my mage to level 99 and i had fun you know just taking my friends and my brothers through i would use my mage and i would kind of you know badass the uh levels because you know level 99 you know my mage can kind of take out anything pretty easily so it'd be kind of fun to you know lead my brothers or lead my friends through the levels and you know kind of just have fun with them but then i also started my backup character which is like my minotaur and i got him up high too i think i got him to like level 60 or 70 before i uh stopped with him too so it's just such a fun game and it had so much uh unique replayability to it in my opinion because you could always go back and play through these levels again. Just, you know, experience the levels all over again. There's so many different levels. I honestly didn't ever count them, but there's usually like five levels before each boss. And I think there's... See, I can't remember. I think there's like... In total, I think this game has like 15 different bosses. Or between 10 and 15. So, if you're talking, you know, around... Let's just say four to be safe. Let's just say four levels before each boss and you're talking at least 10 bosses, you're probably talking around, you know, 40 to 50 levels, somewhere in that range. So it had a lot of levels to it, and each level was unique. So really love this game. Really love the storyline it presented because the whole time you're trying to rescue everyone from these realms, and there's, I forget what his name is, but there's like this dead um, ghost-like figure that kind of, you know, leads you through the game. He's like, you've killed this boss, you know, now you must do this to kind of uh, help save the world even more. And it was really cool how it had a storyline built into it. Just so fun. You know, so fun to see these different worlds, see these different enemies, go through it with your friends or go through it by your own, you know, however you wanted to play it. But it, it did get very tough, too. You know, some of those battles um, towards the end got so tough and you really had to work together to beat them. That is my number one. It, it's probably staying there for a while, so... Um, I, I do apologize to any, you know, State of Decay fans or Undead Labs that that didn't make number one for me. But um, Diddy Kong Racing and Gauntlet Dark Legacy, there are two games that really resonated with me to this day. And I would love to go back and play them again at some point if it was available to me. You know, maybe if they ever have an N64 Classic. I'm not a big fan of those, you know, classic consoles. But if they ever made an N64 Classic, I, I probably have to bite on it, honestly. Like... There, there's so many games I like from the N64 days that I would probably buy N64 Classic. And hopefully it has uh, Diddy Kong Racing on there too, because Diddy Kong Racing was their best game in my opinion. But that is our top 10. So uh, going through the list one more time. At number 10, we had Medieval Total War, released on PC in 2002. Number 9, State of Emergency from the original Xbox, 2002. Number 8, Mario Party 2 and 3, released on the N64 in 1999-2000. Number 7, Destruction Derby 64, released on the N64 in 1999. Number 6, Roller Coaster Tycoon, released on PC in 1999. Number 5, The Walking Dead by Telltale Games Season 1, released on the Xbox One, April 2012. Number 4, Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, released on the Xbox 360 in 2011. 
Number three, State of Decay 2, Xbox One 2018 by the amazing team at Unbit Labs. Number two, Diddy Kong Racing N64 1997 by Rare. And I guess I never said uh, what company made this, but number one is Gauntlet Dark Legacy made by Midway Games West. Released on the original Xbox back in 2002. So Midway Games is who made that. So I don't know if there's any other you know, Midway Games fans out there, but Midway Games definitely did an amazing job in this. And, you know, hats off to Midway Games on this amazing game. And real quick, uh, my honorable mentions too. I mentioned Pokemon Snap and Super Smash Brothers, both in the N64 from 1999. Those are my honorable mentions. But, you know, top three, Gauntlet Dark Legacy, Diddy Kong Racing, and State of Decay 2. Those are three games that are super replayable for me. Games that I would be happy to go back into any day. Um, I would I would go play the any of those three right now. So very fun games, and I really love all of them for different reasons. And you know, I, I think my list kind of shows too uh, my eclectic taste a little bit because I have some strategy games in there. I have some management games in there. You know, like Roller Coaster Tycoon. I have War Strategy, like Medieval Total War. I have party games like Mario Party and Diddy Kong Racing, which is sort of like a party style game. Um, I've got, you know, Destruction Derby, which is, you know, sort of that racing style as well. I got some single player action like Skyrim. Um, I have some, you know, co-op action like State of Decay 2, Gauntlet Dark Legacy, uh, State of Emergency. And, you know, I have some single player story action like Skyrim as well, you know, so... Uh, uh, or even a story game like uh, Telltale Games Walking Dead. So it, it kind of you know shows, in my opinion, like how eclectic my taste has been over the years because I really enjoy a lot of different genres of games. You know, One of the only genres that I'm not huge on is I'm not huge on fighting games, like, say, Mortal Kombat-style games. I'm not really big on those type of games, and it's just because I'm, quite frankly, I'm not good at those games. I mean, I'm just not good with, like, you know, oh... You have to X, X, 2, Y, 3, Z, B, 2, 8, and then, you know, hit right bumper three times, and then, you know, left trigger once. Like, I'm not good with, like, you know, memorizing, okay, this is the combo to do this move. Like, to me, that's not uh, my style as much. You know, hats off to anyone that does enjoy that. You know, I will say I do enjoy watching people play those, but that's just not my style to play. But, you know, other than that, um, I do enjoy most styles of games in some capacity. Uh, I do want to thank uh, Maximilian Colby for this idea again. This was his idea for this to be a podcast. Thank you once again to our Patreon members. Maximilian Colby, Naya Sion, MFN Juggernaut, Meter, Coconut Kid 123 and OTG0. And if you yourself are listening to this uh, two weeks from now and you want to become a Patreon member, you can do so on patreon.com slash blaze experience. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash blaze experience which is b-l-a-i-s-e-x-p-e-r-i-e-n-c-e which will also be in the show notes when you find this uh, two weeks from now i would definitely love to have you all there for as little as one dollar a month you can help support the content i'm creating and thank you all for listening to the podcast too if you are already listening to it you obviously have a way to listen to it but if you want a different way to listen to it then you can do so via Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Podbean, Blueberry, and many of the directories. And if you want to contact me, you can always contact me via email, theblazeexperience at gmail.com. 
You can jump in my Discord, which will be in the show notes. You can contact me on Xbox or Twitter at Blaze Experience, capital B-L-A-I-S-E, capital X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E. And I do have a YouTube and Facebook as well, but I don't use those as often. So I would recommend contacting me via Twitter or Discord is the uh, most likely way you can hold me. But I definitely love to hear from all of you. You know, if you are listening to this, uh, whether you're a Patreon member or you're not a Patreon member, if you uh, have any ideas for a future bonus podcast, let me know because um, I'm open to ideas for non-gaming podcasts too. You know, if there's like a, say you want me to do like a podcast on my uh, takes from E3 or if you want me to do a podcast on, you know, my top 10 uh, TV shows all the time or whatever it is, you know, I'm, I'm game for pretty much anything. So if you have any ideas on what I could do for a bonus podcast, then let me know and I will uh, definitely take those into consideration. And I will say, though, that if you're someone that's not a Patreon member and you're letting me know, um, chances are you may not hear that podcast, though, if you don't become a Patreon member, because this is probably going to be the only podcast or maybe I'll make an exception in the future. But as of right now, this I'm planning this to be the only podcast that non-patrons can hear from the bonus podcast, because uh, I do have to be fair to the patrons. You know, this is something that's supposed to be just for them. But I did want to release the first one to non-patrons. That way you could all get a taste of what the bonus podcast uh, could be and, you know, how those could work. So maybe, you know, in the distant future, uh, you know, never say never. I mean, maybe in the distant future, there's a day where I go, okay, this this bonus podcast, you know, non-patrons should hear this one too. And, you know, but I would talk to the patrons before I did that. So if you are a patron, don't worry. Um, I would talk to you before that happened. So as of right now, this is the only bonus Patreon podcast that will ever be on the main feed. But if that changes in the future, then uh, you guys will know about it. But thank you again to the patrons. Thank you as well to the non-patrons. You know, if you don't want to uh, become a Patreon member or you don't have the funds to do so, don't worry about it at all. You know, I, I definitely understand and it's not a big deal. The fact that you listen to the podcast at all, the fact that you, you know, join me on stream and the fact that you're supporting my content, it means a lot either way. So the fact that you're even listening to me say this right now, that means a lot that you're giving me that time. So don't worry about it if you can't donate or anything. That is not a huge deal. I just appreciate that you're actually enjoying the content. So thank you very much for enjoying the content. And I will see you all on next week's podcast or on stream, which is going to be mixer.com slash blaze experience. That's Mixer.com slash Blaze Experience. You want to see me on stream. But thank you, everyone, for listening. I really appreciate it. And thank you again to all of you for making this content possible. Especially the patrons Max, Naya, MFN, Juggernaut, Meter, Coconut, and Otichi. Thank you all for being the first patrons of the first bonus podcast. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the Blaze Experience. <laughs>